We're just now starting Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. And he set it up on the plain of Dura. I have a handout for you on that also, of, of the image. The, wor- the word image here, I mean, this is, was definitely an idol by every definition you can have of idol. And it doesn't tell us whether it was the image of man or of Nebuchadnezzar or an animal or, or Marduk, who was their god, or who, whose other name was Bel. It just doesn't say. The point here, since it doesn't say, it doesn't matter. The point here is that it, that it was an idol. And in the handout that I've given you, I've shown you the relative scale of these dimensions. A cubit is roughly 18 inches, okay? It's supposed to be the the length of a man's hand from elbow to fingertip is pretty much what they were used as their measuring rod back then. So you can see in this handout, it was really, really tall and skinny because it was like 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. So I've got that little man. You can barely see him next to the golden, you know, image. And then I took an 18-wheeler. You know those containers on the back of an 18-wheeler? Those things are 40 feet, the big ones. So if you take two of the containers and stack them end to end, and they're eight and a half feet wide. They're about exactly the size of of this little image. But you'd have to take two of them and stack them, and then you'd have ten feet left over. Okay? So that's how really huge this idol was. So here's the story. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Now, he's, he's naming these in order of importance, okay? And we'll see later in the lesson, they were apparently seated, as you would suspect, in order of importance around the king. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, etc., etc., assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. Now, we know the Chaldeans from earlier lessons, they were like the leaders of the wise men. There were magicians and conjurers and sorcerers and all different specialists, but the Chaldeans were the ringleaders. They were the ones who interfaced with the king, who spoke to the king. They came forward and denounced the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of this music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you had set up. One thing in this passage, let's kind of go back to the beginning of the passage. One striking omission here is Daniel. Daniel is not mentioned. 
Now, we know from what we know of the character of Daniel, there's no way he'd be bowing down to that idol. And we also know that he was in even more of a position of authority than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were. Um, They were under him. And therefore, these Chaldeans surely would not have omitted Daniel in their accusation because Daniel had supplanted them as head of the wise men. So we know from this that Daniel was either ill, you know, or he was away from the kingdom on business or something. All right. The other interesting omission and the sad one is that there were no other Jews named. Where, where were the rest of the Jews who were in captivity, who, who may have risen to positions of administrators of one thing or another? Were they out there rationalizing? Were they saying, well, I won't really worship the idol in my heart, you know, so it won't matter. I, I'll, I'll, I'll look like I'm bowing down to this idol, but I'll really worship God. I'll pray while, while I'm doing this. I'll pray for all these sinners around me. What they're, what, they were, what they're saying to themselves is, what difference would it make? What difference would it make? What difference could it make? If you're bowing down... Well, they did it publicly. Mm-hmm. They did it publicly. Mm-hmm. The implication being... Okay. That they were compromised. That they were compromised. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, clearly they lost the opportunity to, wit- to be a witness for God in front of all the pagans. Now, not many people would want to be the witness that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were getting set up to be because they were getting cast into a blazing furnace. It was going to be the end. And you can just hear wheels clicking. Well, if I am a witness, it would be too short. You know, I'll be killed. Think how many more people I could save if I lived you know, there's just all the shenanigans we go through in our heads. The, the difference that it makes besides all of that is that it's important to God. It's real important to God. That's right. That's right. He, it, it's, exactly. In Exodus 20, verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth or under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So that doesn't say you can like bow down to them and worship me in your heart. It says you shall not bow down to them. What sin, they committed every sin in the book, but what sin did God over and over and over say tore him up that Israel was sent into captivity in the first place for? Idol worship. Okay? It was what God called adultery. It was, it was, it was adultery. To his relationship with Israel. It, it is that important to him. What, what command did Jesus pull out when he was asked as being the most important command in all of the law? Worship the Lord your God. The, that's right. Worship the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that, that same verse, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 goes on to say, this is so important. Talk about it when you get up in the morning. Tell your children about it when you go to bed at night. Write it on your doorposts. And in fact, even today, if you go into a Jewish home, you'll see a very small little plaque. looks like a thermometer. 
a little glass or plastic tube usually, nailed to the side of their door jam. And inside of that is this verse. And they touch it whenever they go in. It's called the Shema. It has this, this passage has a special name. It's a lovely, lovely reminder because we are under that same command, correct? I mean, that's it in a nutshell um, for, for all of us. So the fact that no other Jews stood up just shows how far the nation had fallen into apostasy. Okay. Can I ask you a question? Uh, Does your translation on verse 8 say at this time from Chaldeans No, it says astrologers, but it's the word that's used, Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not being legalistic. They were not overreacting. They were not being self-righteous. They were being obedient. Now let's talk about those Chaldeans who came forward. Now, if you brought that up, Linda. The Chaldeans are just plain jealous. These guys will do anything to get rid of the Jews. Can you imagine how acrimonious and horrible and sneaky and underhanded and backbiting anything they could do to get rid of Daniel? Until Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego showed up, they were the king, king of the wise men, you know. And when Daniel showed up, he was made their boss. Well, think about it. When was he made their boss? He was made their boss at the, at the second year. This is according to verse 1 of chapter 2. The second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So we know from how Babylonians count. Nebuchadnezzar came into power at the end of 605. They would have started counting in 606, I mean 604, his, his, the beginning of his reign. So year 2 would have been 603. Well, when Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity... They were taken in and they were to have three years of training. And, and, and they also started their training in 605 B.C. So either, depending on how you count it, either if their training was a full three years or if it was into the third year or whatever the deal was, it was within three years, okay, two and a half or three years at the time they set foot in the door that Daniel was boss of the wise men. It could have been even before he had graduated, and, and remember how young he was. I just, you just can't even imagine how hateful and how hated he was by the Chaldeans. So, the Chaldeans accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a classic tactic of Satan against all the saints. And we're going to study in Revelation 12, verse 9, about what happens to Satan. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. This is Revelations 12:9. Who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. This is what he does. And it is at the instigation and operation of of Satan in the hearts of these Chaldeans that they stand and accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The defender was not the words of the mouth of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They did not defend themselves to the Chaldeans, nor did they defend themselves to the king. 
Isaiah 54:17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. This we, we are servants of the Lord. We get counted in this one. <laughs> right? Our vindicator is the Lord. It's not ourselves. We are not called on to defend ourselves against Satan. We are to call on God to defend us. All right? The way Satan gets to Christians is, or to anybody I suppose, but is that he says, yeah, but that's only if you really didn't do anything wrong. But what if you really are in the wrong? Then I can accuse you. Okay. And Jesus answered that one in Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest, or this was speaking about Jesus. This is the writer of Hebrews. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And this is precisely what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? That... That cinched it as far as I'm concerned. In the Bible, you pretty much God answers. That's kind of a challenge, especially from a king, because God's the one that sets up those kings and gives them their power. Okay. so Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you had set up. This is one passage in the Bible that is such a comfort to me as a human being, because Everywhere you read all the promises that God makes. You know, I promise to be there. I promise to help you. I promise, you know, not a hair of your head will be singed. I, you know, I know every number of the hairs on your head. And, and, and the one that people quote to Christians so often is in Matthew 18, 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they might ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. And you sit there and you read, especially, usually you get quoted that second verse, not the first one, you know. And and people quote that second one and they say, okay, well, just the two of us are going to pray and, you know, my child will be healed. Okay. Or whatever the request is. And if you look at closely 
And if, if you read scripture, you, you understand in your heart, the Holy Spirit tells you, and you understand that God deals in the Spirit. Okay? God gives us these bodies. We're here for a purpose. But Romans 12.1, which I, I'm sorry is not on your cheat sheet, <laughs> but Romans 12.1, Paul says, offer your body as a holy and living sacrifice to God. That's right. That's a great point. God was going to save them from the hands of the king either way it went. And that's exactly right. Because no matter what, their, their souls, their spirits, who they, the essence of them is safe. But he's not necessarily going to save them from the pain. And that's what we always want out of, you know, is the pain, be it emotional pain or physical pain. And, and, and you know, Paul especially preached so often about sharing in the pain of Christ, making that making us part of him and of his sacrifice and of who he is. When I read this, these passages together, and especially the one in Matthew 18, what it tells me is that God is operating in the spirit. Well, duh. You know, we should have figured that out. Whatever we bind on earth, be it sickness or whatever it is, it is bound. But it's bound in heaven. Okay? It's bound in the spirit world. It has no more power over that person. All right? The physical body, though, is a sacrifice. We need to live with those our lives, our physical lives, on the altar to God to do with as he wills. And boy, oh boy, did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understand that, huh? They said what Job said in chapter 13, verse 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Our God is perfectly capable of saving us miraculously. But our obedience is not based on whether or not he saves our bodies. So Nebuchadnezzar, needless to say, was he was furious to start out with. He's even more, he's livid now. And his attitude towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. See, back at that time, if you were going to get thrown in the furnace, they would, like, take your clothes and give you prisoner clothes, just like you see when people are getting beheaded, they'd have, you know, special clothes on. It was the same way back then, but Nebuchadnezzar was so mad. (laughs) He had them thrown in their clothes and all. Bound them up, threw them in. The king's command was so urgent and the fire furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, they have been tied and bound, and the people putting them in, they're at the very threshold of the furnace, the people putting them in have burned to death, and they are there teetering on the edge of the furnace, unable to help themselves, and they fall in. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? And they replied, Certainly, O king. And he said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, 
and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, many of your translations may say that the fourth looks like the son of God with capitals. That makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Nebuchadnezzar had no clue who Jesus was. For that matter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no clue that there was a son of God. They would have recognized him if they saw him, and maybe that's who they were meeting at that very moment. You know, we, it's not told to us whether this was an angel or whether this was Christ walking with them in the fire. But, but Nebuchadnezzar didn't know. Anytime you come to something in your Bible that just plain doesn't make sense, grab another translation. Because, you know, this is the work of man, these translations are. And, and often, like we looked at the word that was used for officials in the first um, chapter of Daniel and found out that that could just equally correctly be translated eunuch. Okay. It's, it's open to, you know, they're doing the best they can. So later, earlier translations typically say the Son of God. Later and more modern translations typically say Son of the Gods. Okay. What must it have been like for those three men walking in that furnace? Can you imagine walking inside the furnace? Why didn't they come out? Who was the fourth person? Did, yeah, did they think they were dead? They, they, oh, this is heaven. You know? <laughs> you know? but were, they, were they talking? Were they conversing with the angel? You know? What were they saying? He not only saved their bodies, he saved their clothing, which would have been immediately ignited. I mean, it, yeah. it would have been a miracle if all the clothing had burned off and they, their bodies were saved. But he, they didn't even... Well, we That's there. right. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. Nebuchadnezzar approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around him. Now, this is a smaller list than what we had before. So this is just like the people in the immediate vicinity of the king. These are the the big shots. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there wasn't even the smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent this angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you can imagine him looking at the Chaldeans when he said that, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What did get burned up in the fire? Think about it. What got burned? Something got burned. The bindings. The ropes they were bound with were burned. Well, and the other thing is, I know that they mentioned those soldiers that pushed them in. And I think for me, there's a story there, too, that those of us who push someone into sin, because woe is the, that one who leads a child astray. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And, you know, as we are children of God. And so for me, those soldiers that pushed him in and 
singed or were burnt sends a great message as well. That's right. It's interesting that, or maybe it is. Okay, Cindy, speak up. Or maybe it's later. I haven't read ahead that much, but uh, it's interesting. And he did not immediately send somebody out there to tear down that uh, that idol. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And 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 we'll see. But but Nebuchadnezzar has called God the Most High God in earlier chapters. Yeah. He's still a polytheistic, yeah. you know, pagan. He still believes in all the other ones. He just thinks this one's the top dog, you know. Yeah. He thinks this one is the high, Most High God. He never says this is the only God. He's yeah. trendy. Yeah, he's trendy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he's hard-headed, isn't he? But the whole, you know, I'm glad you brought up, brought this up. Sonia, because the the fact that those soldiers, you know, also send a very great message about people who push people into sin, because this whole story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is 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 to me very much of a parable of how the Lord is dealing with, going to deal with Israel during the age of the Gentiles. Okay, there. If you look at Isaiah forty three verse one, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. He is speaking. This is Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah is the is the prophet who prophesies about the captivity, uh, about the dispersion. God is making a promise this time, not to individuals, but to a nation. He's promising the nation of Israel that though they pass through these terrible times that they're fixing to go pass through, they will not be destroyed as a nation. He will be there. They will go through fire. They will go through water, obviously all figurative, some figurative, some literal, but they will not as a nation be be destroyed. They will be in bondage. Idols will be set before them. But if they humble themselves before God and when they humble themselves before God, he will bring them to him, save them, write their name on, write his name on their heart, and they will be his again forever. Nebuchadnezzar continued to worship his pagan gods, but the powerful witness of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego caused him to understand that their God was more powerful than any of his. So let's go to chapter 4. I think we can finish chapter 4 today. Here's the, just a few little, little passages. Oh, I need one of those. Because um, I didn't write them in my notes. Uh, to, to take a look at. Chapter 4 is kind of a, a complete shift in scene. Okay, we're back to uh, a scene that's very similar to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar is having dreams again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all the peoples, nations, men of every language that live in all the earth. May your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. 
said, whoa, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? You know, <laughs> where's the king and what did you do with him? That's Nebuchadnezzar. That's not the Nebuchadnezzar we know. What happened? The vision of the great tree. This is the story of what happened. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. From this we can see, basically it's a statement of his work is done. Throughout the early stages of his kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar had to go out every single year with his army and force all of the nations, all those little sub-kingdoms, those vassal kings that formed his world empire into submission. Every year he had to do that. Finally, you know, he's kind of got things under control. He's been able to spend his time and all the money he stole from all those people building up his city. He's laying in his palace, flourishing, as he says. Okay. So he's older here. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies, as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind, kept alarming me. We get, you know, we kind of get the same feeling as we did in chapter 2. Lord's tapping him on the shoulder, just like, like, like he did before. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them. But they could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation. Well, Daniel's Chaldean name, as you know, is Belteshazzar, which means literally Bel, protect his life. Bel is another word, another name for what you, the Nebuchadnezzar's chief god, Marduk, an, an idol. God was not blind to these idols. Our God has eyes and ears. He, know, he knows the name of the idols the pagans are worshipping. There are three separate passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah that specifically name Bel and prophesy against him. And those are the first three on your sheet. Um, and and, and they're, I'm not going to read through them, but they basically just say, I know their name and they will fall. What I think is interesting and significant here is that this is the one and only place that we see Nebuchadnezzar himself address Daniel by the name of Daniel. Look. He says in verse 8, but finally Daniel came in before me. Now he addresses him as Belteshazzar in front of everybody else. But in his mind, he calls him Daniel. And, and you kind of get the sense that in all these many private conversations that they have had, that they, a friendship has grown and that Daniel has asked him to call him Daniel, please. And so the king calls him Daniel. You know, such a wise man as this would be a huge resource for a young king. Nebuchadnezzar was not much older than Daniel, if any, when he became king. And so over the years, you sense the, the respect, the mutual respect. Now, this is the dream, Daniel 4.10. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. 
I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. And he shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off the branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Now I find it suspicious that the Chaldeans could not interpret this dream. For one thing... (laughs) For one thing, it called it him right in the middle of it, okay? For another thing, if you study, if you have ever studied psychology, one of the things that you study is the theory of dreams. And like kind of dream 101 is whatever somebody's dreaming about, whatever symbol that is, it is usually often a symbol of themselves. Now, These guys were way far advanced from us in terms of understanding signs and dreams. And this is their profession. I think they get it. I think they're scared to death to tell the king what this interpretation is. Okay? Um, And I'm just, that's just my gut feel. Doesn't say that in scripture. But that's kind of what I'm reading between the lines here. I'm thinking of the the little worms those Chaldeans are. And I'm thinking they ain't going to say one word about this. So, um, Daniel, so this is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while, as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. I think the king even figured out what this dream meant, right? I I think he sensed this. He had called in all his magicians, etc. Daniel, if you read carefully those earlier passages, they didn't call Daniel in until after the other guy said they couldn't do it. Okay, so now they call in the chief guy. Daniel's here. And from... From Daniel being appalled, you can see that the respect that the king had for Daniel is reciprocated. You know, this is a pagan, sinful, horrible king, but there's something noble about him. You know, and there is a relationship there over that has grown up over the years. And Daniel is appalled at what's fixing to happen to this king. Belteshazzar and Daniel alone is not afraid to be honest with the king. 
He replied, My lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky and was visible to all the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king, for you have become great and grown strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it, in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field, and you will be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree, your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven that rules. This is the first time in our study of Daniel um, and in this series of classes that we've seen an angel come and make a prophecy. We're going to see that a lot as we go forward through Daniel and into Revelation. That's, it's one of an angelic function is to is to communicate like this and the dream is very clear I don't think there's any question about what's going to happen the only confusion is the time period involved it says seven periods of time it doesn't specify what it is according to Strong's the Aramaic word for periods is idon which means a set time technically a year so that's the definition of that word Um, we presume it means a year Josephus, the historian we talked about earlier, um, interpreted the seven periods of time as a year. Here's how he put it in his book. A little after this, the king saw in his sleep again another vision, how he should fall from his dominion and feed among the wild beasts, and that when he had lived in this manner in the desert for seven years, he would recover his dominion again. When he had seen this dream, he called the magicians together again and inquired of them about it and desired them to tell him what it signified. But when none of them could find out the meaning of the dream nor discover it to the king, Daniel was the only person that explained it. And as he foretold, so it came to pass. For after he had continued in the wilderness, the aforementioned interval of time, while no one durst attempt to seize his kingdom during these seven years, he prayed to God that he might recover his kingdom and be returned to it. That's how Josephus told this story. So. Whether it was seven years, seven weeks, seven months, you know, there is no record of this interval or this incident in Babylonian records. No big surprise. I was, <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. Not what you want to write down. Plus, who'd be doing the writing? The guys who had the most to lose by not having a strong king to defend them and their riches and their comfortable life. I don't think you, it's like I, just a couple of weeks ago I was watching a show on uh, the crossing of the Red Sea or something by um, 
on public broadcasting station and one Egyptian and they were talking to Egyptian scholar and saying, you know, but there's no record of this in Egyptian, you know, hieroglyphics anywhere. And the guy said, you could dig up every piece of pottery that ever existed in Egypt and you're not going to find a record of, of the crossing of the Red Sea because it was a big defeat. Just because there's no record doesn't mean it didn't happen. And quite the contrary, the fact that it's in the Bible and in the scripture means it did happen. Um, we just don't know quite how long the period was. But we know from our study of, of the connotation of the number seven in, in some of our earlier lessons. So do you, who remembers what seven meant? Completion. Completion and holiness. Enough. and hol- Okay, so it was always associated with something the Lord was doing. And it was always just enough time to complete the task. And that could well be what this means also. It's just going to be however much it takes. That's how long it's going to be till you, Nebuchadnezzar, humble yourself before God. Then you will be restored. And then we get to an amazing statement. Therefore, O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. This should blow us away because there is no monarch in history, including the king of England, that you could go to and say, stop sinning, right? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't matter how close of an advisor you are. That's just more indication of how close this relationship had come. and, And also of the boldness of Daniel. Daniel, it didn't matter to him if he lost everything. If he lost the respect of the king, the king could kill him, could get mad. It didn't matter. What mattered was that God was trying to reach the soul of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel was going to be clear about what the Lord was trying to say to him. All this, oh, and the word that's translated righteousness is not the same term that we would call righteousness in a Hebrew sense. This meant return in Chaldean this, this, or in Aramaic, this word has a connotation of return to a life of moderation and justice. You know, okay. this reminds me somewhat of Billy Graham. Bill, uh, Daniel reminds me, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Billy Graham reminds me of um, somewhat of Daniel, where the, you know the, the monarchs and the uh, people in high authority come to, have come over the years to him for for advice. That's a great. Uh-huh. I think you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Very interesting. All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And when you walk on the roof, you can see these huge cities surrounding this, this, the huge walls surrounding the city. The city, according to what I read, was 140 miles square. It was square miles. It's larger than London. It was surrounded by a series of walls and the walls were so massive and so wide, they could have chariot races on them, six abreast. A four-horse chariot could turn around on top of the walls. He had reason to be proud, okay? This is huge. So he's out on his palace looking out over this, and he says to himself, Is not Babylon the Great? which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. And while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
To you it is declared, Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like a cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So it wasn't a week, okay? It was some period of time that it took for this to happen. The illness that he had, people still have today, that same psychosis. It's called like clinical lycanthropy, where people believe they have turned into an animal and start behaving like that animal. Often there are periods of lucidity where they come back to themselves and relate how they've been feeling and then they go, you know, kind of back into it. So it is likely that Nebuchadnezzar was kind of coming in and out of this, being given a chance to repent and refusing until he had had enough, until there had been enough time. And then at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time my reason returned to me. And my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. And with that amazing statement, we come to the end of our visit with Nebuchadnezzar. He, this experience may have saved his soul. His association with Daniel was clearly blessed. It blesses us today. He had a long, very long, in those days, 43-year rule, and Daniel served him faithfully until the day of his death. And when we pick up again next week, we'll be studying about a different king.